Amen. So we're doing our study on the life of Elijah. And I want you, if you would, we're going we're gonna to open up in Isaiah, believe it or not. And then we're going to go to 1 Kings 19. So uh, Isaiah 51. We'll turn there. Isaiah 51. Verses 12 and 13. Isaiah 51, 12. I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die, and of the Son of Man which shall be made of, of gra as grass? And forgettest the Lord thy Maker that has stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and has feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? The Lord's just saying if you, to, to those that know him and that follow him and walk with him, basically, what are you doing being afraid of man? man man's going to die. You know, uh, I'm the Lord, your maker. You've forgotten me in the picture. I think we've all gotten that way at times. We have an, an, uh, an opponent, an enemy. We have a circumstance. We have a situation that is far greater than we are, but none of them are greater than the Lord. But we look at the circumstance and we get afraid. We get afraid. It's, it's, if we say we're not never afraid, we would be lying. Because even David, who killed Goliath and was used to, to, to win so many battles, he said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. He didn't say I'm never afraid. He said, what time I am afraid, I'm going to trust in you. And so... The reason we're, we open with that scripture, and you can go back to 1 Kings 19 now, and our study in the life of Elijah is because of all these wonderful things that the Lord used Elijah to do up to this point. We've been months and months studying his life, okay? Calling down fire from heaven and then praying for the rain after three and a half years, and the rain came. And then at the, uh, all the... All the prophets of Baal, 850, when you combine the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves, all 850, he says, take them down to the brook and kill them. And they, they slew every one, trying to purge the land of these uh, idolatrous priests and prophets. And then he runs 18 miles, 18 to 20 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. He runs ahead of the chariot of Ahab. He runs on foot. Ahab's in a chariot. And it says that he got there first. Okay? All these mighty things. And then... If you're looking at 1 Kings 19, verse 3, well, verse 2, then Jezreel sent a message, Jezebel sent a message unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, what did he do? He, he stood up and said, you know, I'm in the presence of Jehovah. I'm not afraid. No. When, when Elijah saw this, it says he went for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree. And he requested of himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And we talked about this last week. We're going to continue uh, a little bit more on this tonight. This, this uh, is not what we would have expected from this man, Elijah. I said Elijah is one of my biblical heroes. 
And I, just, I love the way he stood. I love the way he stood before a whole nation. Stood before a whole nation. And something's going on out there. Uh, and, and he called down fire from heaven. He wasn't intimidated by the people. He wasn't afraid. It would have been like Daniel uh, standing and being thrown in the lion's den. The three Hebrew boys. And yet here we see him and he's fleeing for his life. When this woman makes a death threat on him, it's not what we would have expected. We're going to talk about the fact he's a human being, okay? Elijah, Elijah, it says in James 5, was a man of like passions as we are. So he was not some made of a different race. He was a human being that trusted God, walked with God, stood in the presence of the Lord, but he was weak and frail. And at this moment, we see a moment of weakness, okay? And so it's not an excuse, it's just a reason, okay? It's just a reason. And so uh, we're not going to point our finger at Elijah. We're going to learn from his life. We're also going to learn later in this lesson tonight the goodness of God and the compassion of God to come to him and to help him and to minister to him. And so, but anyway, he flees for his life. We looked at it last week. One of the reasons, one of the... uh, reasons that might have led, one of the circumstances that might have led to this fear and fleeing from Jezebel, we talked about last week, was physical fatigue. I'll say it again for the 10th time. It's not an excuse. It is something we need to guard. And if you walk with the Lord long enough, and you've, there have been times in your life where you're physically exhausted, em- emotionally drained, maybe spiritually been ministering, 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 pouring out, pouring out, we need to be refilled. We need to be refreshed. Jesus took his disciples apart, and they had times to pray. When the crowds were pressing on them all the time, all day long, he, they, were not, they didn't have time to eat. They didn't have time to sit down because there were that many people that wanted to be healed. They wanted to, their, their blind eyes to be open, and, and, and Jesus ministered. He had compassion and ministered to them. Then we would see Jesus not just going to take a, a, a nap, although he did sleep. He, we'd see him go and pray and be commune with his Father. So we, we need that time to, to be refreshed physically and spiritually, okay? And Elijah, just knowing the events of his life that have led up to this moment, he was very taxed. He had been very taxed physically uh, and spiritually and emotionally, just all that was going on. And it's, and it's something that we need to guard against when we have moments like that. We need to guard against not sinning. We need to guard against not falling into temptation. We need to guard against not uh, forsaking the Lord in some way or forsaking our prayer time or reading the Bible or, or fellowship with the saints. We need to watch it. That's all. We need to be careful. And so another, another thing that might have led, well, obviously I would think it did lead to, to this, what was part of the failure of Elijah in this moment, he took his eyes away from God and he put his eyes on the circumstances. That's very simple, okay? This is nothing you've never heard b- before, but that's exactly what he did. He took his eyes off of God, and he put his eyes on the circumstance. That is totally contrary to a life of faith. One of the things we know about Elijah is his faith. And one of the things that we admire about him is his faith, to trust God. When he called down fire from heaven, that he knew it was coming. He didn't wonder and doubt in the back of his mind, oh, I hope, sure hope God does it. He knew that the fire was coming, okay? Go show yourself to Ahab, and I'm going to send rain on the earth. He knew the rain was coming. And so, it's, again, it's not what we would have expected, 
But his life was a life of faith. And the Bible says faith is the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not what? Seen. Not seen. And so we're believing in God, having not seen, yet we love him, Peter says. Having not seen him, but we love him. He's dear to us. He's precious to us. And uh, Moses endured by faith, the Bible says, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I love one of the quotes in this, this book I've been studying. And he says, faith always thrives when God occupies the whole field of vision. Faith always thrives when God occupies the whole field of vision. Wherever you look, we see the Lord. Everywhere we see him working there, we see him there, we see a promise there. We see him standing by me here. We believe his name is Emmanuel. Everywhere we look, God occupies the whole field of vision. Faith is going to thrive in that. Faith is going to thrive and grow and prosper in that. But he took his eyes off, off the Lord, and he looked strictly at the threat of Jezebel. Jezebel said, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be like those 850 priests of mine, those prophets of mine that you killed. They were hers, okay? That she was the one, especially her, that was establishing this Baal religion in the land. And so he looked strictly at that. He hears it. When he saw that, it says he arose and went for his life. Well, what is that similar to? That's similar to, I guess, a lot of things in our own lives. But that's similar to many, many years later when the Lord was walking on the water and Peter, you know, they're, they're thinking they're seeing a spirit. And he says, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter says, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come unto you. And he says, come. And so Peter walked on the water. He stepped out of the boat. He walked on the water to Jesus. I don't know how long, how far, but he walked on the water. And he was doing just fine, but we know the story. You've heard it hundreds of times in your lives. And he says, he looked around and he noticed the wind was boisterous and the waves that around him were swelling. And he began to sink. It's just a physical picture of a very real spiritual reality. When we take our eyes off of the Lord, we begin to sink. We can sink into depression. We can sink into loneliness. We can sink into fear. We can sink into hopelessness. We can sink into giving up. Uh, we can sink into a lot of things. Sink into sin. All those would be types of sin as well. But when, when his eyes were on the Lord, he walked on water, which a man can't do. But with God, all things are possible. So he did do it. And then when he took his eyes off of the Lord, that would be a look of unbelief. The, the wind were boisterous. The waves were big. It was dangerous. It was nighttime. He is walking in the middle of an ocean on a sea. And he, got, he began to get afraid. We all were surrounded by things all day long, every day, that could bring that kind of fear into our lives. We have to keep our eyes upon Jesus. We're surrounded constantly by things that are greater than us, mightier than us, that would bring fear into our hearts and lives. Amen. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. This is Peter. And he began to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. Well, praise God, he did save him. He didn't say, no, you took your eyes off of me. Forget it. Going and drowned out here. He saved him. Immediately, they were back in the boat. Somehow, they both were on the, on the boat, and they were safe, and Peter was safe. So while Elijah had his eyes set the Lord before him, and what do we know about his name, and what does he even say about the, the, himself? He says, the Lord Jehovah before whom I stand continually. 
when he was, you know, hiding by the brook, Cherith, when he was in Zarephath during this three and a half years, when he was standing before the king, when he was standing before King Ahab again, when he was standing before the whole nation gathered at the base of Mount Carmel uh, and the 850 prophets of Baal, he still was very aware that he was in God's presence. And that took care of everything. It took care of everything. And it will do the same for us, being aware that we're in the presence of God. When he took his eyes off of the Lord and thought about the thought about it, and all all he considered was the death threat, he became more concerned and looked more and thought more about his own life and safety than he did the cause of God. That's important as well. He began to think about me. What am I going to do to save me? Rather than God's got me and he's taking care of me. He should have been thinking about God's cause, God's purpose for his life, in his life, for his life, in that moment, his testimony, whatever God had for him to do. He began to think more about his life than God's cause. And he began to sink as well. Amen. And let, that's just an encouragement to us or a warning and an encouragement to refuse to look at the circumstances. It's not that we're ignorant of them. That's, that's something that somebody that's not a Christian would say, you Christians are just in denial. You're always talking about heaven or the rapture or whatever, and you're just in denial. It's not a denial. It's, it's we're fully aware, like what's happening in our country, the darkness that's encroaching rapidly. We're aware of it. We see it. We're aware of sicknesses, and we know what cancer is and things like this. We're aware of it, but are, we choose by faith to set our hope in the Lord. I choose to keep my eyes upon Jesus Christ. I'm not ignorant about the state of affairs or the spiritual darkness that's around us or the physical dangers that are around us. We're not ignorant. We're not sticking in our, our head in the sand like an ostrich, pretending like there's not a problem. We are choosing by faith to set our, our gaze upon the Lord, to, to set our gaze upon the Lord. Circumstances and things that would naturally be impossible and difficult, they're nothing, they're nothing when, we, when we're looking at the Lord. To, in, in comparison to the Lord and the greatness of God and the power of God and the love of God and the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the problem is nothing in comparison. There's, it's just, and we have to remember that. Again, I look around and see what's happening in our country and it's just bad news, bad news, bad news. Bad news, bad news, bad news. And yet, God said, this is how it's going to be. And I've got you in my palm of my hand. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To live is Christ, to die is gain. This is what he tells me. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we have these promises of the Lord. We need to set our gaze upon the Lord and we need to keep them there. I want you to turn with me. You can keep your spot marked there, if you would, in, in 1 Kings 19. And turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's pick up in, in verse 17. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light affliction which is but for a moment. Now, this has to be faith to believe that. Otherwise, it sounds like a fairy tale. What, what is he talking about? We have to believe that eternity is eternity and our earthly life and whatever trials and pains and heartaches and sorrows and tribulations we go through is but a drop in the bucket. We have to believe that. 
okay? So here's where faith comes in. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and what kind of weight? Eternal weight of glory. While we look, there's the faith, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. At that moment, this man, who was a great man of faith, okay, he was a great man of faith, who trusted in a great God, but at that moment, he took his eyes off the Lord. He thought only about the report he was going to be dead by this time tomorrow. So in such despondency and despair and fear that he ran, he left his servant, I think in Beersheba, he went a day's journey in south into towards the desert, towards Mount Horeb, he goes a day's journey. And remember, I, I actually think he hadn't slept yet. If, if you really look at it chronologically, right, that he, he called, the, the nation of Israel was called together, and there was that whole day where, um, where the prophets of Baal jumped up and down on the altar and cut themselves and, oh, Baal, Baal, hear us, and Baal didn't send the fire. Then he repairs at the time of the evening sacrifice, which would have been 3 o'clock, repairs the altar with the 12 stones, the way the altar that Ahab and Jezebel had had broken down, <coughs> pre prepares the right sacrifice, has the water poured on, calls down fire from heaven, has the priest killed, okay, goes up on the mountain and prays seven times, you know, till the rain came, runs before the chariot, from Mount Carmel to Jezreel, where the palace was, 18 to 20 miles on foot. And that night, as soon as he got home, Jezebel's like, honey, what's been going on today? And, and, Je and Ahab told Jezebel all that had transpired. And she was furious. He's going to be dead by this time tomorrow. Send a message to him, and he takes off and flees. So I don't think, uh, if you look at it, there, that he had rested. He was exhausted. He throws himself down under, leaves a servant, goes a day's journey into the wilderness, throws himself under a juniper tree, which is a type of cedar tree, and he says to the Lord, let me die. Just, I've had enough. I've had enough. And I know that there's been times that men and women of God had felt that way before. We felt that way it's a great mistake to try to tell God what to do with your life. It's a great mistake when we start dictating to God what he should do. God wasn't ready for the man to die. God, we're going to read it in some of these further lessons, had three more, uh, three big things still for the man to do before he called him home in a, a fiery chariot. But it's a, sh it's a mistake for us to tell God what he should do with our lives. Okay, um, if God had taken him at his word right there and just said, okay, I'm going to let you die. I'm just going to take your life right now, which he could have. And he'd have gone to heaven and be with the Lord. He would have been an Old Testament saint justified by faith. Amen. But if God had taken him at his word, he would have died under, uh, I, I think he would look almost like a cloud. He would have died under a cloud of his testimony not being what it should have been. You don't want to die that way. You want to go out. I don't want to go out guns blazing, so to speak. I want to go out whenever I do die. I don't want to go out just with a whimper. I want to go out living for God and with God and believing God more than I ever had at any point up until that point. I want to be doing whatever he's called me to do as long as and hard as I can do that and trust in God 
as long, you know, trusting God more at that moment than I did all the moments before in my life. I don't want to just whimper out and hang on and wonder if I'm going to make it in kind of thing. We want to serve God. He would, his testimony would not have been what it should have been and what it is to this day, okay, had God taken him at his word. Uh, he would have never heard the still small voice, which he's going to get to hear. He would have never founded the school of the prophets, which he was going to found. He would have never been the one to call and commission and anoint Elisha to be the prophet in his stead. And he would have never been caught up in a chariot of fire with to be to me be with the Lord like nobody else has ever left this world before amen had, had God taken him at his word and I just say this what mercy it is that the Lord doesn't always take us at what we want you know it's like a little child and that's what we're like we're like little children It'd be like a little child that wants something uh you know when they're four and they want a 12-gauge shotgun with the ammo you know, they want it. They want it. They want it. Why won't you give it to me? Thank God we don't give them what they want, right? And thank the Lord he doesn't give us what we want when we're in a state like that. He understood the this, this state spiritually, physically that his servant was in. He understood. God understood where this man was physically and, and spiritually and so forth at this time. So uh, he, this is what he did. So that so. Elisha's saying it's enough. And, and think about, this is not a pity party, but, you know, whether it's your life or someone you know or someone you've read about in the ministry, you've suffered a long time. The individual may have suffered a long time. They've suffered with a sickness. They've suffered with chronic pain for a long time. Uh, maybe it's a, a, a husband married to an unbelieving wife or a wife married to an unbelieving husband that, or something where, they're 20 years, 30 years, and it's not pleasant, maybe in the home. Something that goes on for a, a long time. Some Christian minister or, or missionary that's saying it's, it's, it's pointless. Nobody's getting saved. There's no fruit. There's nothing happening here. Let me come home. Let me come home. I want to go home, home. You know, they're just tired of it. And we would say to the Lord, I can't see anything good it's going to come from me staying on the mission field any longer. It's enough, Lord. It's enough. And it's a good thing that God doesn't just give us what we want at those moments. One of the things I thought about when I was thinking about Elijah saying that, you know, as Christians, the Bible says we've been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus Christ. Not with silver or gold, Peter says, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. We've been bought with a price. That means he paid for me. The blood that he shed on Calvary paid for me, not only for my sins, for me. He redeemed me from slavery, and I belong to him. So it's not for me to do with my life what I choose to do, anything I want to do with my life. And that he died, he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live for themselves, but live unto him who enough died for them and rose again. We're to live for God. And so even in saying, Lord, it's enough, just let me die. Well, God says, I'm going to call you home when I'm ready to call you home. I got something for you to do right now. But we've all, uh, maybe some of the young people haven't, but I think people, we all may have been and felt like that before. <clears throat> felt like that before. That's just, what's the point in going on? And little do we know how much we would miss in God and in his will and his plan for us 
if he would give us that request that we wanted. Thank the Lord again that he doesn't. Better to leave it all in his hands, amen? Just leave it in his hands. He'll call me home when he wants to call me home. He does want to call us home because he wants us to be with him, and he is going to call us home. But there, I believe there's a lot of things he wants to teach us. There are still life lessons he's wanting to teach us. He's wanting to grow us. And it's not all done in one stroke of a paintbrush. It's a life. It's a life. Every trial you've been through and every trial you're going through right now, big or small, everyone you will go through, if you'll let it, it can be a teaching tool from God. And the great teacher will work in us by his spirit and make us more like Jesus. So teach us to trust him. Amen. Teach us to trust him. And we're going to live to thank God that he didn't just give us what we wanted. Amen. I want to talk about one more thing, and we'll continue this uh, next week. But I just want to touch on this. And that's how God began to deal with him. If we didn't know the story, and we haven't, we haven't read the, you know, in this study, we haven't read the, the following verses. But if we just looked at it and says, here's a man who fled from a woman uh, who God had been so faithful to and so bold in the Lord. And now he's saying, I just want to die. I just want to die. Just take my life. And we say, well, God's going to punish him for that. God's going to be harsh with him for that. Especially we think of Old Testament. We think of Old Testament, God's going to really, was somehow a different God in the Old Testament. He was not. Uh, let's read it. So if you're in 1 Kings 19, let's see what the, how the Lord began to deal with him. He says, I want to die. He fell asleep under a juniper tree. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked. And behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water by his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights from Horeb unto Horeb, the Mount of God. This, this is really something. We don't see any upbraiding. You know what I mean by that? We don't see any upbraiding where the Lord just, now I'm, I'm going to really scold you. I'm not saying God doesn't have the right to scold us. He, ch him, he loves, he chastens. I'm say not saying he doesn't have the right. But I, th I think in this we see the love of the Lord. We see the love and the kindness and compassion and tenderness of the Lord. He knew, as I said, that his man was spent. He knew he was spent. He didn't need right that moment to be upbraided. Uh, he would be aware of that, and I know God could teach him that. But at this moment, we just see the compassion of God. You know what John says? You don't have to turn there. 1 John 4, 16. John, the, the beloved, okay, says the disciple whom Jesus loved is what he called himself. We have known and believed the love that God has to us. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. And a lot of the times... Some of the, we're talking about life lessons, okay? Some of the lessons where we learn the love of God the greatest, it may not be a song or, a, or a, a, even a sermon. The, the times I believe that we individually learn God's great love for us is when we have failed in some way. When we have failed, we have disappointed the Lord. We have done, maybe even brought disgrace 
or shame in some sin or some failure to the Lord. And we see the tenderness of God. Are there consequences for our sin? Even as believers, yes, there are. But in the midst, he never deals with us as severely as our sins would warrant. He's always, it's at those times we see the love of God. We just are without excuse and we say, I'm speechless. I, I can't believe how I failed the Lord right here. And we see the tenderness of God. We see the love of God. We see the patience of God. We see the compassion of God. And so this, without doubt, from what we know about this man's life, Elijah would have been his biggest failure, was to be afraid, to take his eyes off of God, to be afraid of man, to flee from man, uh, and then to request of himself that he might die. I'm done. I I can't take it anymore. And, And yet, God brought compassion to him. He, he ministered to him. He, he, in other words, the Lord saw what he needed right then. You know what he needs now? It's food. <laughs> he needs water. He's in a desert. When he fled from Beersheba down to Mount Horeb, he's going through desert. Here he hasn't slept. He passed out basically under a tree. And God says, my man here needs food. A servant needs food. He needs water right now. He needs rest. So the angel, he sends the angel and taps him on the shoulder and he gets food and water that he didn't work for or provide. They would have never have been there uh, had God not put it there. And he rose and ate and drank and fell asleep again. That's how tired he was. Angel taps him, wake up, wake up. Second time, there's more food, nice warm baked bread and some cool water to drink. The journey that you're about to go on is great. That tells me right there it's not over because there's a journey you're going on. It's not over, okay? There's a journey. I want to close with this, uh, this verse. If you'll turn with me to Psalm. We'll come back to the study. It's worth spending a little more time on this next Wednesday. But turn to Psalm 103. You know, it doesn't matter if we're talking about Elijah, Daniel, Abraham. Every, every man, woman of God that we read about in the Bible and since the Bible days that have been the true blue, followers of the Lord, they've had some point or points or moments in their life where God brought them to a point where they thought they couldn't go any further. But he knew what was needed. And in our weakness, he's strong. He, in our weakness, he's strong, and he will always be that. He wants to encourage us with that. Look at Psalm 103, verse 8. We'll read 8 through 10 and then skip down. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. So just think about your life or think about Elijah wanting to die. He will not always chide, chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. Listen to this. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. Aren't you glad? Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Just for time's sake, skip to verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children... So the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. I'll just stop right there. So we think of God being high and mighty and lofty, and he is all of those things. He's altogether other than we are. And yet he has compassion for us. He deals with us, and he gives us an example we can relate to. As a parent or father has pity on their child. The child's afraid of the dark. The child's afraid of the lightning. The child's 
uh, whatever it may be. They're a child. They, they, the reasoning only goes so far for the child. But the parent knows. The parent has pity. They don't go, you're stupid for being afraid of that. The parent's going to have compassion. Come up here, honey. And they're going to hug him and love him. And it's going to be okay. God's got it. You know what I'm saying? As a father pities his children, so does the Lord pity us. He remembers our frame, that we're dust. We're not eternal. God's eternal. He's from everlasting, everlasting. We have the gift of eternal life. We will live forever with the Lord. But he is. He remembers our frame, that we're dust. He knew his servant needed food and water and some rest. Then he would talk to him some more. And he had compassion. And he didn't upbraid him. James says the same things. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He doesn't say you're stupid. What do you need wisdom for? You should have been wiser than that already. No, I'm asking you, God, for wisdom. The Lord's not going to upbraid us. Guess what he's going to do? Give to us wisdom liberally because he doesn't just sit there and chide and upbraid. If I go off in sin, he's going to rebuke me. He's going to correct me. You know, whom he loves, he chastens. But we're talking about just meeting us in our weakness and God having compassion. Okay? Even when he rebukes us, he has compassion. Amen? So you can come. I want to close there. I want to pick up on that, pretty much that same thought about God dealing with him and that compassion uh, next week. Y'all stand. <clears throat> a lot of folks out tonight, a lot of people with sick or, or different things going on in their lives. We want to continue to pray for them. But let's just take to heart this. this the altars are open just to come and, and thank the Lord. Uh, thank the Lord for unanswered prayers where we, we might have prayed something foolishly or asked amiss, uh, not, no, not having wisdom or faith that God hasn't done things for us like that. Thank God for how he deals with us and his compassion and tenderness and mercy when he remembers our frame as dust. Nothing else we can come to these altars and we can thank God. We can thank him for his compassion and tenderness to us even when we have failed him and let him down. He's going to strengthen us, amen? He's not left us out to dry and say, well, you made your bed, lie in it. That's what people say. That's not what God says. He comes to us and he helps us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, Lord God, that your compassions are new every morning. Your faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, Lord. Your compassions fail not, Lord God. This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Thank you, God, that you know our frame, that we're dust. We're not using it for an excuse, God. We are thanking you for dealing with us as a father pities his children. That's how you deal with us. We just read it in your word, God. Thank you, Lord, for dealing with me out of compassion and mercy and tenderness, God. Thank you, Lord God, for your goodness to us. Bless your people. Strengthen us, God. There's still a great journey for us that lies ahead. And I pray you would strengthen us and we would go in the meat of your word, in the meat of, of the Holy Ghost, Lord, and moving forward into the life that you have for us, God. What is man? What, what is man that we should fear him or the son of man? Lord, help us to trust you and to believe you, God. Bless your people tonight in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.